Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Some years ago, I received a phone call from the United States. The caller introduced himself as a literary agent representing a publishing company. We're interested in your book, he said. On the rating of 1 to 10, we rate it as 8.5. We would like to explore with you the possibility of publishing the book in the U.S. and launching it at the book fair coming up in Florida. Well, I knew my book was a good book. It has been translated into several languages, but only in Asia. Into Indonesian, Japanese, Mongolian, Chinese. How wonderful if I could break into the U.S. market. The agent went on, I can help you get all this done for a small fee. Well, he asked for something like a thousand U.S. dollars. I was all excited. I even thought of changing my name from David Wong to David King, because Wong is king. And David King sounds more Western than David Wong. I sent me a document which I signed and uh, I sealed the deal with a credit card payment. And then, nothing. You know, like they say, no sound, no picture. I called, I emailed, but dead silence. Well, I spoke to a friend of mine who worked on the Mongolian translation of my book. She uh, is a lady missionary, uh, someone wiser than I am. She asked me for the details. Uh, she did a quick check on the internet, and then she called me. She said, Pastor David, you have been conned. I remember when I received the message, I was on a speaking engagement in Norway. I just visited the National Museum in Oslo, and I learned about this famous painting called The Scream by Edward Munch. Well, the face described exactly how I felt. Now, I felt like screaming, huh? By the way, the word scream, if you take an R and E, you get scam, it's well scam. I have been scammed. No? Well, a lot of promises uh, made to me by the agent, they were not true. They were not true. They were false promises. And this publishing company he claimed to represent, it was not real. It was fake. And what this agent is doing making false promises and inventing this fake organization is not good. It's bad. Now, how does it feel to be conned, to be scammed? It's not a good feeling. But in my case, all I lost was maybe a thousand US dollars and perhaps some measure of my pride. But what if we have been conned and scammed on bigger issues, like issues of life and death? What if what I believed in life is found to be not true? What if I found that what I thought was real is actually false and fake? And what if I thought what was good in the end, at the end of my life, turned out to be not good but bad? Now, these are questions we're going to consider today. But before we do so, could you just join me in a word of prayer as we ask God, to speak to us. Dear God, you told us that if we seek you, we will find you. If we truly desire to know the truth, you will reveal it to us. 
And if we truly yearn for what is real, you will show it to us. And if we really want what is good, you will give it to us. We remember the words of Jesus when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. So we pray this prayer in his name. Amen. Now the question that's given to me today is, how do I figure out right and wrong? Now I'd like to rephrase the question and make it a bit more personal. How do I know if I am on the right track? Do I know if I'm on the right track? You know, figuring out right and wrong can be an academic exercise. You know, we can know right from wrong, but we may not choose right over wrong. And even if we choose right over wrong, we may not always do it. And even if we do it, we may not do it successfully. So I feel that the more important question for us to ask is, do I know if I am on the right track? You know, I started with this personal experience of mine. I thought I was on the right track. I thought I was on the track to become a published author in the United States. It was a wrong track. It was false, it was fake, and it was not good. I remember sitting in a class uh, years ago in Philosophy 101, and we were taught to ask three questions in life. Uh, the three questions will help us to discover the meaning of life, the purpose of existence, and come to a worldview that makes sense. What is true? What is real? What is good? In other words, whatever you're holding on to in life, you need to ask yourself, is it true? Is it real? And is it good? So I want you to join me this morning in asking these three questions. And in so doing to answer that personal question, am I on the right track? So let's begin with the first question. Is it true? Or what is true? And basically there are three questions. No. Did Jesus exist in history? Are records of his words and deeds reliable? And did Jesus die and come back to life? Now, these are questions that I struggle with from time to time. I've been a Christian ever since I was a teenager, so some 60 years ago. And from time to time, I ask myself if what I believe is true. Well, I have the privilege of pursuing postgraduate studies at two British universities. And I must tell you that British university really forces you to think. I did a Master of Arts in Manchester University and a Master of Theology at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And now these are secular universities, but the professor who supervised my research were renowned Christian scholars. And I remember how I was taught to think, to question, and to assume nothing unless I can provide evidence to prove it. So as far as my Christian faith is concerned, what I'm interested in lies in these three areas. Did Jesus exist in history? Are records about Jesus reliable? And did he die and come back to life? I thought hard and long on these questions and I come to the following conclusions. The first is, does Jesus exist in history? Well, I think Pastor Edmund Chan dealt with this last week. My conclusion is only someone who really exists in history could split history into BC and AD. We talk about today being 2023 AD. Now, AD is in the year of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And we talk about Julius Caesar being assassinated in 44 BC. BC meaning before Christ. A person like Jesus had to be historical if he is to split history into AD and BC and make such a change to the universal calendar. Secondly, the records of Jesus' life available to us, are they reliable? 
Well, I say they're reliable because there are so many surviving manuscripts available to us. The New Testament in our Bible has been preserved in more manuscripts than any other ancient works of literature. 5,800 complete or fragmented Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and 9,300 manuscripts in various other ancient languages. There are enough manuscripts for us to compare and contrast to be able to get to the original. If we accept historical events as reliable when there are only a few surviving manuscripts, we cannot but accept the New Testament records as historically reliable. And finally, I believe that anyone who sincerely and honestly examines the evidence of Jesus' death and resurrection will come to one conclusion, that Jesus did die and he did come back alive. Uh, we have the example of Lee Strober, who is an atheist, a diehard atheist, and investigative reporter for Chicago Tribune, which is a reputable publication. He set out to debunk the claim of Jesus' resurrection, but he was confronted by overwhelming evidence that he uncovered that he became a follower of Jesus. In fact, his story has been made into a film, a movie, called The Case for Christ. You can find it on Netflix or somewhere. These are facts of history. They can be substantiated. They are true. Jesus existed in history. The records of his life in the Gospels and the New Testament, they are reliable. And all the evidence showed that he died and he came back to life. And that is why the Apostle Paul could say in one of his letters, I know whom I have believed and am convinced. I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced. He believes and is convinced in what he believes. Now, knowing that something is true is important, but it is not enough. There's a second question. Is it real? Is it real? Now, I'm told that different generations um, you know, ask different questions. Um, for example, for baby boomers like myself, we were born after the war, we are, belong to what we call the pioneer, the Madeka generations. Now, we are interested in what is true. We want the truth. Now, we want to know if it is true or not. But I'm told that the generation after us, my older daughter's generation, she's born in the 70s, they are the Gen X, and they are more interested in reality. Now, yeah, it's true, but is it real? Now, does it work in life? Does it work in real life? Um, and then there's a millennial generation, which my younger daughter, who is born in the 1980s, belonged to. I uh, enjoy talking with her because her uh, interest is quite different from my interest. And they are more interested in what is good. What good does it do? Does it do any good? Yeah, it's true, it's real, but does it do any good for humankind? Does it do any good for me? So let's look at the second question. Is it real? Now, Paul goes on to declare in this verse, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able. He is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Now, I know Jesus, I believe in him, but how does it work out in real life? So Paul here says, not only is he convinced about Jesus, Jesus is able. Jesus is able. He's able to make a difference in our lives. He exists in history, yes, that's true. But what about now? Does he make a difference to life now? Now, to answer this question, I would like you to give me permission to be more personal. 
So I'd like to talk a bit about what I have seen and witnessed in my own life, starting with my father. My father was a taxi driver, struggling to provide for a family of eight, six children, in fact, seven children, but we gave one away because we couldn't feed one more mouth. It was given up for adoption. And up to this day, we have no idea where he is. My father was working on night shift from four in the afternoon till seven the next morning, every day of the year except the first day of Chinese New Year. Unfortunately, he was a habitual gambler. And one of my sad childhood memories was that of my mother trying to stop him from breaking our piggy banks to take our five cents and 10 cents to satisfy his addiction. And growing up, I saw fights between my parents. And one time their fight was so violent that the fridge we have in our home was toppled and lying sideways on the floor. Well, I brought a pastor to speak to my father, but he was not ready at the time to believe. Now, three of us who are Christian in the family, my younger brother and my younger sister, we prayed for our parents. And then we saw God beginning to answer our prayer. My father got deeper and deeper into his problems, and he came to a point where he couldn't take any more. He called for the pastor. And this is what he told the pastor. He said, I'm a taxi driver, and I'm not an educated man, but I have eyes, I can see. I can see the difference between the Christians in my family, my three children, and the non-Christians in my family. Well, this pastor led my father to Jesus, praying a very simple prayer, asking Jesus to come into his life. Now, the change in my father was amazing. Almost overnight, he gave up smoking, he gave up drinking, and he gave up gambling. He started going to church. Now, when his uh, fellow taxi drivers uh, found out that he was going to church, they mocked him. Now, they say, you're a big man. And you go to church and let the pastor tell you what to do? You know, my father was filled with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, no? And he answered them, you're all big men. But every time you pick up passengers, you let the passengers tell you where to go. <laughs> I saw the change in my father. Well, it took 10 years before my mother also believed and got baptized. You know, the hurt she suffered must have taken a long time to heal but eventually it did. It was a joy to see my parents in their old age together. When my mother passed away, my father held her hand and she told us, I've lost my best friend. I will join your mother very soon. And eight months later, my father had a heart failure and he died and joined my mother. So if you ask me if Jesus is real, does it make a difference to life? My answer is yes. I've seen it with my own eyes. But my father's story is just one story. I pastored uh, two churches, not many churches, just two churches. The first church I pastored for some 20 years, the second one for about 12 years. And you know, as a pastor, we meet people at the points of need. We have seen the best and the worst of situations, the best and worst of, 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 of people. And as I think of the people I've met during those years when I was a pastor, if you ask me, is Jesus real in their lives? Did Jesus make a difference to their lives? My answer again is yes, I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. But let me share very quickly two personal experiences in my own life. The first one, I have a younger brother who is 10 years younger than I, and even though we are 10 years apart, we share a kindred spirit. In fact, we have written musicals together. I write the lyrics and he writes the music. 
I conducted his wedding, and I rejoiced at the birth of his firstborn son, called Joel. He was born with a defective heart. Something was not right with his heart. The church prayed for Joel, and my brother's friends met every week before the church prayer meeting to pray for Joel. By the age of one and a half, Joel died. His heart stopped, and he died. I was on sabbatical at the time in Vancouver, Canada, and when I heard the news, I just wanted to fly back and be with my brother. But he told me it's okay. By the time you get back, the funeral will be over. He and his wife grieved over the lost. But their faith in Jesus gave them comfort and hope. I will never forget a line that they shared with the church in their testimony. He said, we asked God to give Joel a new heart, but God has given him a new body. We asked God to give Joel a new heart, but God has given him a new body. You see, we Christians believe that there's a hope beyond this life when God will give us a new body that is free from any defect or illness. That's one story. Let me tell you the second one. Our older daughter married and blessed us with our first grandchild, a grandson. But soon after, our daughter was diagnosed with a life-threatening medical condition. She was warned not to have another baby because the stress on her body would kill her. At one point, doctors detected swelling in the blood vessels in the brain. We were really worried. And in the conversation with her on the phone, she said, Dad, don't worry about me. If I go, it will be quick and painless. And that's what happens when you die of a brain aneurysm. The vessel in your, in your brain bursts and you're gone. Don't worry for me, Dad. If I go, you'll be quick and painless. In my heart, I was saying, yes, quick and painless for you, but not for us. You know, soon after I heard the news, I was on a speaking engagement in Dubai. My host booked me on one of those dune-bashing tours that ended with a dinner in the desert. But I was in no mood to eat or to enjoy the entertainment, so I walked away from the crowd. I walked into the vast expanse of the wilderness, and I climbed up a sand dune. I looked up into the sky, and it was full of stars. It was then I was reminded of Abraham what Abraham experienced when God asked him to give up his one and only son. I could hear God saying to me, are you willing to give up your daughter? Do you love her more than you love me? No, I really struggled. I struggled sometimes and I finally surrendered. I said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And it was when I experienced this tremendous peace, a peace that transcends human understanding. Well, our daughter survived that frightening episode and she went on to bless us with two more grandchildren. Our older grandson just entered university last year and our younger grandson just got baptized this past Easter. So to the question, is it real? Is Jesus real? Does he make a difference to our lives? My answer is yes. After all that I have seen and heard and experienced, my answer is a resounding yes. I've seen reality in my father. I've seen the reality of Jesus in my father, in my brother, in myself. I can say with the Apostle Paul, I know whom I believe. And when convinced that he's able, he's able to guard, he's able to guide, he's able to change lives, he's able to give comfort and hope and peace. And all these are real. So if I ask the first question, is it true? If I ask the second question, is it real? Now we need to ask the question, is it good? Again, let me go back to these different generations. I noticed that different generations uh, ask questions that address different parts of our being. No? 
The baby boomers like myself, you know, we're interested in truth, so we address the head. The Gen X, they're more interested in reality, so they address the hands. The millennials, I believe the millennials are more interested in the heart. They're looking for what you can feel in something that addresses your heart. They can touch the heart with what is good and beautiful. So we come to the last question. What is good? Is it good? Is what you're holding on to good? So let me go back to Paul's declaration. I know whom I believe and am convinced that is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Now, we believe in a day called that day or the day. It's a day when we will see Jesus face to face. Either we die and go to be with him or he comes again and we see him face to face. It is a day when all things that are wrong will be put right and all things that are bad will be made good. Now, Paul here believes that his life is safe, his work is safe with Jesus until that day. In other words, Paul believes in a good ending. And we Christians, we believe in a good ending. But I want to propose to you today that all people, whether Christian or non-Christians, whether believers or unbelievers, we all want a good ending. So let me ask the last question, what is good? Now, in life, we see what is good in the midst of all that is bad. We see what is beautiful in the midst of all that is ugly. We see beauty in nature. We see beauty in the arts. Now, to me, I'm particularly attracted to two things in life, music and story. In fact, I like this quote from Friedrich Nietzsche, who is an atheist, not a believer. He said, without music, life would be a mistake. And I also like this quote from G.K. Chesterton about story. He said, I had always felt that life was as a story. And if there's a story, there's a storyteller. See, music draws me to God. I see God as the one who gives us music, the gift of music. He gives us the ability to make music. He gives us the capacity to enjoy music. And I would include even dance, as we saw just now. And story, story also draws me to God because every time I read a story, I hear a story, it tells me that this is only a small story. All these stories that we hear are just small stories, a part of a big story, a bigger story. And this big story is a story told by the biggest storyteller, which is God. So, in my life, I've been a lyricist. I write lyrics for music, and I also collect stories. I like to tell stories, as you can see from what I've said so far. So let me share two stories, and these are true stories. They happen in history, and these are stories that made more powerful because they are set to music. So, the first, some of you may recognize this, the musical Les Miserables. There's this song in the musical called Empty Chairs at Empty Tables. But Les Miserables just started as a novel by Victor Hugo in 1862, and then it became a stage musical in 1980, and then a movie not too long ago in 2012. And those of you who have watched the movie version, you will remember this song, Empty Chairs at Empty Tables, sung by Eddie Redmayne in this scene. And the song begins with these words. There's a grief that can't be spoken. There's a pain goes on and on. Empty chairs at empty tables. Now my friends are dead and gone. You see, they all started a revolution. Marius is the only survivor. All his comrades have been killed. The revolution had failed. 
And all his friends, all his comrades have died. And here he is alone. Sitting in the cafe where they plotted the revolution, where they talk about the revolution, where they dream about tomorrow. The tomorrow never came. And the song ends with these heart-wrenching words. In fact, if I have a good voice, I would like to sing it to you, but I will not do that. The last verse says, Oh, my friends, my friends, don't ask me what your sacrifice was for. Empty chairs at empty tables where my friends will sing no more. You know, the story could have ended there, and it ended like this in real life, in history. But you know, if you do a musical like this and you end it there, you know, the people ask for their money back. They will heckle, they will boo. They don't want the kind of ending. So you remember, if you have seen a musical, this is the ending of the musical. Uh, the, 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 the movie. At the end, the revolutionaries are all back on the barricade. They're all alive and singing, every one of them, in the grand finale. You see, we don't want a bad ending. We want a good ending. We want the dead to come back to life. We want the heroes to win. We want the good to triumph. Let me give you another example. And some of you are familiar with this scene, I'm sure. And the song, sung by Celine Dion, my heart will go on and on, right? And in this scene, the ship Titanic had sunk. The passengers are trying to stay alive in the icy ocean. And eventually, many of them died. Some are rescued by lifeboats, but most died. And here are these two characters, Jack and Rose. They are holding on to each other. And eventually, Jack freezes to death and he sinks into the ocean. Now, the story could have ended there. No. But we cannot accept that a good story should end like that. So in the film version, you remember how it ended? It ended with this scene. Titanic is raised from the ocean floor, transformed into its original glory and grandeur. And then we are shown the way into this grand ballroom where all the passengers have died in the ocean, they all come back to life, they're all standing there and witnessing this grand occasion where Jack offers his hand to Rose. And Rose come up the steps and they are rejoined and their love goes on and on. Isn't, isn't it amazing? In Le Miserable, all who died came back to life singing and in Titanic, all came back to life celebrating. You see, we all want a good ending. And the question I want to ask is why? Why are we not satisfied with a bad ending? Why we want a good ending? And I believe the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, God has made everything beautiful in His time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. He has put something in our heart that will not be satisfied with a bad ending. So the question, what is good or is it good? It addresses our heart. It addresses the heart of hearts. We want to believe in a good God. We want to believe in a good ending. A good God who desires good for His creation, who desires a good ending for each one of us. And that good ending is found only in Jesus. As Paul puts it, He's able, he's able to guard. He's able to guard what we have entrusted to Him until that day. So let me sum up. We have asked three questions. Is it true? 
Is it real? Is it good? And we know that Jesus is true. Everything about him as recorded in the New Testament is true. Jesus is real. Even today, in our lives today, we see that he can make a difference. And he does make a difference. And Jesus will also take us beyond to a good ending. I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. And of course, I want to close with an illustration that I learned from my good friend, uh, Dr. William Wan, the president of Singapore Kindness Movement. Now imagine I have a twin brother, and uh, we are in our mother's womb. No? Uh, we are together in our mother's womb. We are floating around in the amniotic fluid, taking in our nutrients from our umbilical cords. Now, living in the small confines of the womb, without a care in the world. And then one day, so please imagine with me that I can talk. Uh, one day I asked my twin brother, uh, do you think there's someone out there who is taking care of us? Then my twin brother says, I don't think so. I don't see anyone except you. What I cannot see, I don't believe. Then on another day, I asked my twin brother, uh, do you think there is a life beyond this life? Is there a life after this life? No? Then my brother said, I don't think so. No, this life is all that is. No, when it's over, it's over. Well, I'm not satisfied with this answer. So I tell him, why don't we wait and see? No, when this life ends, when this life in the womb ends, let's see whether there's another life. And let's see whether there's someone who has been taking care of us all along while we're here. Now, you know what happened? The life in the womb ends, and we found out the answers. Now, I want us to fast forward 70 years. So I'm now I'm not in my 70s. So my twin brother is all in his 70s. And now we are sitting on our rocking chairs, now, looking out into this body of water. And then I ask my twin brother, do you think there's a life beyond this life? Is there a life beyond this life? Well, I can imagine my twin brother saying to me, <laughs> you know, you asked me this question a long time ago when we were in the womb, right? And I told you I didn't think so, but I was wrong. There must be a life after this life. Just as there is a life after life in the womb, there's a life after a life in this world. You see, my twin brother and I, we found out that there is someone who took care of us when we were in the womb. And we call her mother. In our present world, we also know that there's someone taking care of us. And we call him Father, our Heavenly Father. Well, we look forward to the life after this life. In the womb, we could not imagine what life outside the womb would look like. You see, in the womb, our eyes can see only darkness. Our limbs could only move within a small space. And our minds have no understanding of how big the world is, how beautiful the world is outside us. And I believe now, as we look at life in this world, we see only what we can see with these eyes. We move only what we can move with our limbs. And our minds have no understanding of how big and how beautiful the world 
will be after this world. So I echo the words of the Apostle Paul. I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. This is true. This is real. This is good. It's no scam. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Let us pray. I want to lead us in two prayers. But first let me speak to those of us who have invited Jesus into our lives. We call him Lord and Savior, and we call ourselves his followers. Now we can say, I know whom I believed. But perhaps over the years we have had doubts. Not sure if what we believe is true. Not sure if what we believe is real. And not sure if what we believe is good. Today I hope that the words of the Apostle Paul have spoken to us. When he declared, I know whom I believe and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Now, if you want this assurance that Paul has, then many of us should have. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I believe, but I want to do more than just believe. I want conviction and assurance that you are real and you do make a difference to my life. I want to say, as Paul declares, I know whom I believe and I'm convinced that Jesus is able to guard what I've entrusted him until that day when I'll see him face to face. Make this true in my life. Make it real. And make it a good news until I see Jesus on that day. Amen. Let me speak to those who have never invited Jesus into your life. I would like to give you an opportunity to do so today. You've heard the question, the personal question, am I on the right track? You don't want to follow a track that turns out to be a scam. Not true, not real, not good. You want to say with what the above support says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced. You can have the assurance today, Jesus can keep you and all that you entrust to him until the day, until the end. This life is not all there is to life. There's life after life in this world, just as there's life after life in the world. Do you know where you're heading when this life is over? Right now, you can pray this simple prayer with me. Like what my father did. And that prayer changed his life. If you want to say this simple prayer with me, I'll say it slowly so that you can follow along. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. I want to be on the right track. I invite you, Jesus, into my life. I believe you died for my sins and you rose again from the dead. Please forgive all my sins. Help me to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Amen. you stand with me? Let's respond to what we've heard through this song. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's, that's the truth that we're hearing. It is not about us, but it's 
Christ in us that makes all the difference. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no Sin has been d 
Lord of praise offering, and it is yet not I, but in Christ within me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It is indeed not I, but it is Christ whom we look upon. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.